Yes. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to or welcome back to TBN, TBN, TBN. Every other Tuesday, Danielle Jones and myself, we stream right here and we talk about advocacy. We deep, we deep dive into news, give some hot takes on some news, unpack some news as it relates to. <laughs> Did we do news? We do Is news. news I heard yeah. that we do news here. I'm not Someone sure. Someone said that. So Someone earlier said news quite an awful lot of times, mm -hmm. an awful mm -hmm. lot of times. But that's mm -hmm. what we do here. We unpack some news, you know, as it relates to what we do, the world of vaping, tobacco, tobacco control, tobacco harm reduction, uh, science, policy, legislation, all of the things. We have one pretty big uh, topic today. We're covering one big banger of a topic, and we are being joined by the prolific, some would say brilliant, uh, yeah, from the Competitive Enterprise Institute, it's Michelle Minton. Yay! Hi, Michelle Minton. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey. Yeah, hey. yeah, do the wave, do, do the wave. wave. How's it going, Michelle Minton? Great. Thanks for having me on again. I love your show. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here again. This is like your third time on this stream. No, I don't know. I don't know. Friend of the program, regardless, Michelle Minton is here. And uh, today we're going to talk about, oh, Bloomberg, dark money. I think I'm using this terminology correctly. So hopefully we I'll continue to use it correctly. If you're a regular viewer of the TBN stream, we've talked about Bloomberg a lot on this stream. We've even talked about Bloomberg and his, you know, philanthro colonialism in the in the Philippines. In fact, I just saw something on Twitter that was from Sharon Guerin in the Philippines talking about the money that Mike Bloomberg gave to the FDA saying it was so obvious that the nation was made to influence the FDA that was tantamount to bribery. We could not be puppets of institutions that are not even Filipinos. This is not only a violation of laws that we have, it is a violation of our constitution. That's how they react to Mike Bloomberg meddling in their country. So today, thanks to Michelle Mitten, Competitive Enterprise Institute, from an anonymous source, they received 128 pages of Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids internal strategy documents. Is that right, Michelle? Yeah, from what I gather, it's sort of like, you know, if you do a review, if you like work at a company and there's a review every year and presumably they're sending this to like their board or other, you know, maybe donors like Bloomberg Philanthropies, et cetera. Sure. And it's just sort of a, these are our plans for 2017. And that's what it is. So presumably it was written some point in 2016. And this was the plan going forward. And you can see throughout the document where it, these are the plans and they are already, they are happening. Cause you can yeah. see like, oh, we work with this group and this group. And this is, you know, we're going to work on discrediting the tobacco industry or, you know, talking about tax evasion. And then you see that happening. And all the like spokespeople who end up in news stories are from the groups that are mentioned. Mm. Interesting. That's very interesting. And this is more specific, I guess, to LMICs, what, we, what you call low and middle income nations. This is more like their global plan for that, which, I mean, honestly, prior to me reading about what was going on in the Philippines, maybe I was just ignorant or just not thinking about the idea that, yeah, Bloomberg and Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, they kind of have their tentacles kind of all over the place. In a lot I of think we all knew it was happening. Like, you know, we could see vital strategies working in, other, in certain countries. You're like, okay, well, the, the, clearly they're involved. And we, you know, Bloomberg has his like 
global. He, he, he's been open about his plans with tobacco and the countries that he's interested in. But w- once I saw these documents, it became clear how far along in that like invasion that they yeah. actually like how deeply they have pent- penetrated all of these countries, civil societies. Yeah. And it was like it's kind of it was kind of shocking to read. And, I, and I've read a lot of like Bloomberg stuff and I, you know, the Mark Gunther and uh, the Philanthropy Daily piece and all that stuff. And it's different when you read it in like a news outlet, like an author wrote it. It's different than seeing like the scans of these internal documents. Just, I don't know, it felt a little bit more shocking to me for some reason. And I really hope that the whole document, like all 128 pages will be be made public soon. I mm-hmm. hope, you know, it's really up to the person who has them to, to do that, you know. We just can't do that. We can't just you know, put out these documents on our own. It's really up to them. And I, I hope they do because, you know, when you get to see there's so much more in there than I, you know, I, if I kept writing, I would have written 128 pages. So, but, but if you yeah. really, you know, you see it page after page after page, um, it's even more shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't doubt that you could have just kept writing, just kept <laughs> writing. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of this uh, just because I really like this where it says these documents provided by an anonymous source uh, comprise 128 pages of the Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids 2017 strategy for LMICs. That's uh, low middle income countries. Is that correct? correct? Yeah, low and middle income countries. Mm -hmm. Okay, low middle income countries. Uh, Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids is one of the main outfits through which Bloomberg channels its anti-tobacco money. Its stated mission is to cultivate and finance anti-tobacco efforts around the world, but its private plans reveal the scope and pervasiveness of its influence, particularly in developing regions. Here, it says, uh, by building a va- sorry, Danielle, by building a vast network of partners that includes some of the most influential people and institutions in a society, including government agencies, authoritarian regimes, Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids generates what appears like an organic consensus, a cacophony of ostensibly independent voices all clamoring for the same tobacco control policies. In reality, it's a highly synchronized chorus of interdependent interests coordinated from afar. So A, I really like that term interdependent. Mm -hmm. That's the most, I couldn't think of a better way to describe all of these orgs sort of working together. They really are interdependent. Yeah, and it's not just this issue. So I genuinely, like for a lot of the organizations that are, you know, partners here, Mm -hmm. sometimes there isn't always money involved, but they work on, you know, one of the most interesting things in the document, I don't, I think, I I hope I got it into the, in the post that I put out there, was there is even a notation, money set aside for, in the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids document strategy. There was money set aside, thousands and thousands of dollars for an anti-soda effort. Why is the campaign for tobacco for kids having anything? So I think what's happening with a lot of these groups is they've worked with other groups, either campaign or, you know, one of the other international health organizations or something like that or World Health. And they don't necessarily have a position on tobacco mm-hmm. or, you know, and so along comes a group of people. They're part of a coalition or a sure. network, whatever it is. And, you know, Bloomberg and campaign are very good at building international networks now. And so they just say, well, I trust these people. So, mm-hmm. and they've done all this work, so I'm going to go along with it. And uh, maybe they did a little looking into it, but that probably means just, you know, reading campaign for t- tobacco free, like fact sheets or whatever. Right, right. right. Like, Flyers. Just, you know, they're not necessarily like, 
we're super pro tobacco, freedom for tobacco. And then along comes Bloom Bucks. And then they're like, well, okay, now we think it should be banned. I don't think that's what's happening, but I think it is, it is truly not an inorganic movement. It is something that was, you know, brought in kind of like a virus brought in and you have, especially in very low income countries where you had these nonprofits, Mm -hmm. it's always hard. You know, in America, it is hard as a nonprofit in those, you know, in low income countries, they struggle to just, you know, have a few people funded having their projects. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. those kinds of small grants even are absolutely vital to their survival. So, you know, it wouldn't take too much for them to be like, well, I don't really have an opinion. This sounds good. May as well go along with it. Sure. And I'll get some money. Right. Yeah. And I'll get the money. And that's what it like. That's the vibe I keep getting is I feel like they and we'll get to this when we talk about how how many countries they've actually gone into and done this. But it seems like it's very much like a, oh, you guys don't know what you're doing. Oh, here, we'll we'll help you. We'll help you sue Big Tobacco. We'll help you with your media. We'll get here's some more money. We'll help you. We'll help you write, we'll help you write right. this legislation. Mm-hmm. It seems very. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, and you know, that's, I think what a lot of, um, especially countries that have a more, I don't like to necessarily use the word nationalistic, but countries that are post-colonial, right? Like, so the Philippines, who are very sensitive when it comes to issues of colonialism, foreign powers interfering, um, especially the United States, uh, right. they, they, some of their members of government are reacting to this very strongly because they see that they say, you know, you are telling us that we literally are incapable of properly regulating these products. So we should just ban them. That is incredibly condescending for me. You know, if you, if you look into the literature and the, the ethics of international aid and development, so this has been a conversation that's been going on for at least six, 70 years. Franz Fanon wrote about it back in the sixties. He was talking about this sort of like charitable colonialism, right? Where you're going in and you are disregarding what the actual needs and, and desires are of the people in the country. You're saying, well, we're going to give you, we're going to, we're going to force you all to get the smallpox yeah. vaccine. Like, yes, that's awesome. But I'm dying of hunger. So can we deal with that first maybe? <laughs> right, right. right. Die of smallpox and not of the, like just starvation. Um, and I, and I, that's what to me is, I think the most insidious part of, of what I was looking at when I was reading these documents is that, <clears throat> it really does appear from the outside with these groups because they are a lot of the groups involved. They, you know, campaign and Bloomberg philanthropies do a really good job of identifying local interests and getting and onboarding them into their issues. So it does very much appear like an organic movement, like Mm -hmm. they're being a good foreign charity in that they are just trying to support what's already happening. Right. And that's the worst part is because it's not actually, it is false. It, It is a, it is a lie. And that, like I said, I don't think these people are being forced or bribed to do anything, but, but it didn't come from them. Their, their priorities, you know, it wasn't, these groups didn't set what their priorities are based on, based on the needs of the population. They are listening to their friends or their donors or people who are going to help them later down the line. Or like what we think is best. Well, that's, that's the thing that's the the most ridiculous to me. You know, uh, there's a really great article. I recommend everyone read it called um by i think mike lassiter called impossible criminals mm-hmm. and it's, it's mostly okay. about the drug war and one of the things he talks about is you know how white suburban americans really set and he doesn't he's not talking about the global war on drugs but this is true if you look at the history middle class white suburbanites dictate the drug and substance use policy priority priorities around the entire world mm-hmm. and we can see that happening with vaping where you have groups like campaign for tobacco free kids going into India and the Philippines and China, where literally like hundreds of thousands of people die every single year, millions of people die potentially. 
um, from smoking. Uh, yet they are prioritizing vaping in these countries. You're like, why yeah. is that? Because in America, white suburban kids, ne- they don't smoke at all anymore. It's not an issue. Nope. They do vape, however. So we're going to put that weird, sub, you know, middle, upper class, New York mommies, millionaires club issues. And we're going to tell India and sub-Saharan African countries that they should care about vaping and nicotine pouches and not the smoking that's actually killing people in their countries. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's insane to me. And we saw they tried to do I mean, I saw Bloomberg tried to do something similar in the United Kingdom, even when they were operating at a Bath University. They tried to drum up support for like, oh, youth youth are using e-cigs in the uk and flavor bands over there and they kind of just went no what what are you even talking about no they've had a really stable youth well i mean they have have in the past had a pretty stable youth usage rate uh somewhere around like five seven percent and and they define youth a little differently than we do and i don't think they use past month and I think probably they do. use different than we yes use well. is differently defined absolutely yeah, they do a more realistic version which is like are they using did they did you use it more than like 10 times in the last month or something like that which is actual use right uh, it's not like i accidentally tripped and vaped I, I a vape landed in my mouth and now i'm right. the current vapor um but yeah they've never had an issue but but places like bath university and you know the independent or whatever, not mm-hmm. the guardian so much, but those like, you know, trashy tabloid papers, mm-hmm. if they start drumming up, like we did it in the U S saying there's an epidemic, there's a crisis, blah, blah, blah. They will see it happen there. They absolutely will. I think that's what ha- is, has been happening in Canada, even though they don't have as big of a, you know, as big of a vaping issue as, as we had in America, as much as you want to say we had an issue at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say that we had a huge issue in the United States of America. And I mean, no, even- I would say, I would say, um, uh, suicide being the like number two killer of people between the sure. ages of 15 and 34 i think that's an issue <laughs> not I, vaping. yes i think that's yeah. an issue binge Absolutely. drinking numbers were way higher than vaping i mean you know sexual assault numbers i mean i just can't like literally everything if yeah. you want to argue that like experimentation rose sharply okay fine like we all agree to say that yeah, but that whether or not power. that's actually hurting people yeah, that's been a part of the problem, I think. And, and I, I know a lot of people are working to fix this or to, to try and fix it. But the conversation has become and this usually does happen in the lead up to any kind of drug war. The conversation becomes so black and white because yeah. you're forced, you know, vapors or people who are pro tobacco harm reduction. And you see this with cannabis and you see this with clean needle exchanges and stuff like that, where you are forced into a defensive position where you can't where you don't want to talk about any of the realistic uh issues and risks and those are worth talking about but because you're trying to defend from insanity prohibition <laughs> you don't you, you see it in cannabis uh nobody wants to talk about the fact that a very very small percentage of people who use cannabis do have problems that are associated with cannabis use right Definitely. no one wants to talk about the mental health issues mm-hmm. you know the potential schizophrenia stuff it's a but and the you know, if you want to have that conversation, you can. And soon I think you will be able to because it's just going to be legal everywhere. So people can right. start saying, OK, yeah, yeah, it's not worth panicking about or, you know, talking about prohibition. But it is something worth addressing sure. and maybe educating people. If you have a history of something in your family, you might want to be a little careful with this particular substance. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's a that's an argument like vaping that, uh, you know, requires a lot of nuance. And we know that nuance in the public discourse is not. Ah, it's it's 
it's it's not cute for a soundbite, right? It's right. It's, right. it's, it's definitely not cute, and and that's part of the thing. I think you know one. Of, I, I think I've talked to you about this before, but one of the things I'm always trying to do, whether I'm talking to someone who agrees with me or hates my guts and thinks I want to kill children, is sure. just to be skeptical, be more of yourself, and mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. people in government who are saying I'm here to help, all of that. Like just you can believe them, you can support them, but but be critical about what you're hearing because politicians a lot they don't want nuance that is no. not good for them because mm-hmm. nuance actually gives people realistic expectations and a realistic understanding of things and that's not what they want at all they they're dreamers they you know they are they want to give people the fantasy that they will solve all the problems whether yeah. they exist or not and so they try and force everybody else in the world you know just engaging in real life with other people into that kind of black or white evil you know angel devil kind yeah. of dichotomy Good, and that's bad, not that's healthy it. at all no. <laughs> so so it didn't and clearly we have no one in either party in our country who's willing to to say oh it's actually my job as a leader not just a politician but as a leader to try and undo like unfuck some of the stuff we have fucked up in our society the big yeah. one being this partisanship stigma morality attached to every single choice or thought a person could have and say Look, we can have com- we can disagree. We can have conversations. It doesn't mean the other person's a Nazi just because they don't like ketchup or because they love ketchup. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we have to do that. If if the, if our we don't have leaders, we have politicians. So people in you know just the plebes, us here on the ground, just yeah. need to do it. We need to do it with each other. We need to really engage and be like, we don't have to agree. I just want to make sure we both understand that one, we're both human beings, mm-hmm. and understand the nuance of the arguments that we're making and why we feel or have the opinions that we do. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, I even struggle with nuance a lot just because in social media world, you don't afford the opportunity to have a lot of nuance. When you're trying to respond to Raja Krishnamurthy in 130 characters, you don't get to go, you go, you suck. Or, you know, you have like the simplest response as possible. It's hard. Yeah, well, so there's marketing and then there's like being a decent human being. And those are two totally. And I I, I struggle with this myself. You know, you've read my stuff where I'm like, yeah. I can't write another book. It's got to be a 500 word blog post. But I want yeah. I want you to have all of the information that I know that made me think the way I do, because that will convince you it doesn't work. Mm. That's not it's just not the way people think. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the things that was I'm going to say brilliant, effective about Trump is that he would he would make directional statements. We're gonna, and, and very visual too, he's like, we're gonna build a big, beautiful wall and we're gonna make America great again. It doesn't matter if he ever got there. People are like, that's the direction I wanna head in. Yeah, so right. I'm gonna line up behind this guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think, I actually think the most effective marketing tool or strategy is comedy in a lot of ways. Ridicule, comedy, these things are amazing, right? Like speaking of Bloomberg again, when Jon Stewart and Daily Show when Bloomberg was trying to ban big sodas, and honestly, it yep. wasn't even a ban; it was just those single serve big sodas. You could still go to a store and buy a you know two liter bottle of soda. Uh, but when John Stewart started making fun of him, you know, a, a New Yorker, super popular, it was over and done. It was over. <laughs> Comedy, you know, when you have Raja Krishnamurthy or you know, or Rashida Tlaib saying, uh, 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 "I don't know how to pronounce formaldehyde." Uh, right. You know, you're like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to yeah. show why these people should have nothing to do with this conversation if they can't pronounce the word formaldehyde. Yeah. And no offense, I know not everyone 
I'm, I'm very sympathetic. Not everyone knows every word or people have read lots of words and they know them, but they've never heard them out loud. And I'm, sure. I'm sympathetic, but she's a member of government. Right. She should have figured that one out before she started spouting off about it. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, yeah. That's the difference, right? We hold, we're supposed to hold politicians and leaders to a higher standard than ourselves. So yeah. she, she should be able to pronounce formaldehyde, even if the, the majority of her constituents can't. Yeah. I mean, anybody who watched Six Feet Under on HBO should know what formaldehyde is and how to pronounce it. Like, I feel like this is part of the zeitgeist. Formaldehyde? That's not, Even you know. if you went through, I feel that like if you... For me, it, 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 formaldehyde, like, it just is a word, hide, right? So if, you, if you're doing anything involved with chemistry, which if you're writing legislation about a chemical product, you should have some chemical understanding or have a chemist talk to you about it hide right. is in lots of things and formelda is not too hard to figure out so like it's not it, just reading it is not a difficult word it's not even like a five you know it's it's, just, it's like three syllables of formaldehyde it's fine formaldehyde. yeah super yeah. easy or i feel like if you took ninth grade biology class then you might be able to pronounce formaldehyde we had to dissect like what frogs or pigs yeah, frogs or bugs i skipped that cow, for whatever reason but... well maybe they didn't do those experiments back when she was in high school in the like late 1800s or whenever she was yeah and not to keep ragging on politicians but uh did you see feinstein feinstein she did some tweet uh, and wrote an op-ed about vaping and under her tweet even her constituents were like what are you doing like what are you doing there's so much going on right now like we're boiling alive and our infrastructure is crumbling and you're you know you're going on and on about vaping it seems to be that maybe rallying on vaping isn't the most popular political move at the moment yeah i i didn't read what she wrote because i just haven't been able to muster up the um energy to do that quite the mental yeah. fortitude to do that just quite yet but uh, I did read some of the comments, you know, it's, it's, it's funny and I'm glad people are having the reaction. It's not, it's obviously they're not like vaping's fine. What are you talking about? You know, they're, right. they're more, of, they're doing the what abouts like, okay, right. now do guns. Okay. Now do global warming, all this right. other stuff. But, but I do like that, you know, that's the skepticism that yeah. is, that is people saying, yeah. really, yeah. this is what we're going to focus on this right now. This is what is taking your attention right now. Right. Just about, all things yeah, and, considered. And, that's something that we were trying to do you know, when I was speaking to the members of the DC council, I speak to their staff anyway. And I was saying, look, it isn't that something can't be done here. You're just doing it too quickly. And you know, you're going off half cocked and it's going to cause problems. Frankly, one of the things and I'm writing a piece right now, spoiler alerts for that, but Ooh. you know, you can tell when someone is being disingenuous about a crusade of whatever it is, if they say we need to ban um, e-cigarettes for the children because children are vulnerable mm. and you know mm. that that is a lie that their motivation is a lie when they bypass a much simpler way to protect children yes right so if you're talking about e-cigarettes dc has a gray market for cannabis because of the because congress won't allow dc to use their funds to actually regulate it but we have dispensaries that are licensed basically uh and so, so you have that and you have liquor stores that are licensed and both of those places can only sell to people over the age of 21. And these are presumably responsible enough to, to sell those adult products because you've given them licenses to do so. Mm -hmm. Why don't you let them sell flavored vapor products? That would protect the children, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And you, but then you wouldn't have all the problems of prohibition. And they didn't. They won't even consider it. So that to me says, then children, protecting the children was never your goal. Your goal was no. prohibition. Yeah. Right. The goal was prohibition, control, taxes. I don't know. There's so many moving parts of it. It's like, how do you even know why someone's coming after vaping anymore? 
most of the time health, it's not hanging through. Yeah. Most of the time it's, it's marketing, right? So it's, it's a very easy thing to do that makes you get some headlines and makes you look like you're helping. Mm-hmm. And there's so few people that even if they make noise, it's not going to hurt you too bad. Mm-hmm. And maybe right. it'll help you with the, you know, cause then the groups that everyone thinks are awesome, like American Heart Association and Lung Association and all these groups that sound really good, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll put out their own press release and say, we congratulate so Raja Krishnamurti yeah. for really Raja, sticking yeah. it to the man cool. and, right. and they'll get some extra headlines and no one, none of their constituents, except for very small minority of them very is going to know that it's all bullshit. <laughs> Man, U.S. politics, ain't that a thing? <laughs> Dark money and everything. Um, so, uh, listen, let's get back to this uh, Bloomberg and the dark moneyness. Now, this is where I need someone to correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, as you said in this piece, Bloomberg doesn't conceal their financial ties. They maintain a database where you can search and see who's received these grants, these seven hundred million dollars in tobacco grants. It's not exactly yeah. hidden. It's not. It's not clear to me how accurate those, because it's just Bloomberg Philanthropies. They have right. a you know tobacco grant, so it's not clear to me how up to date those are, how accurate. Most I don't think there's number, so there's not figures associated with it. You just know who got a grant. Okay. Oh, I've seen some of the figures based on this, uh, you know, based on those documents that I have, and yeah. there those are interesting. They don't. They also don't report contracts. So sometimes they're grants, sometimes they're contracts, oh. which is a whole nother thing. Because then so, that's a you know, for example, with I think Bath the University or Bath University, whatever it's called, wherever the university yeah. in that title goes, I believe they didn't just get a grant. And I'm, I'm not sure about this, so I'm not making a definitive statement. But I believe they had a contract with Bloomberg mm-hmm. Philanthropies, which I comes think that with, that's correct. And they don't have to. Re- I don't believe they necessarily have to report contracts in the same way. Whoa, that's very interesting. So does a contract carry uh, other certain connotations as far as what you're supposed to do with this money or what your what research, you know, is there a certain Usually, yeah. So, you know, a a grant is supportive. It's saying, I like what you're doing. You know, my organization grants and people are like, you get money from big soda or whatever. And like what those are. And I mean, they, they, these donors may wish to tell us what to do, but that's really, it's, it's more like you're paying us for what we did last year, not what Mm. we're going to do. Mm -hmm. You, it goes into a general fund. You say, Mm -hmm. I like what you do. I hope you keep doing what I like. And that's awesome. Um, a contract's a little different because it usually comes, and I'm, I'm not sure I would have to see a contract to know, but it usually comes with stipulations about work product. You know, right. what are you, and, and the Constantinos Farsalinos, you know, he did his um, records request and he got what I believe was a contract between mm-hmm. Bloomberg Philanthropies, or it might have been Bath, and um, the, uh, what was it, the, ind- the independent desk, the journalistic outfit. Oh, yeah, where- sure. In those documents, they are talking about like you will report to us every 30 days or every 60 days or every 90 days. And we expect this kind of product and that kind of product. So it's you are paying them to do something very specific. You're not just giving them money to support operations. Right. Yeah, It's It's like hiring somebody for a job in a way. I mean, as a freelancer, I use contracts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Dang. Well, that's really very interesting. It was so and where things get, I guess, murkier, as you say in your piece, is kind of what happens so we know that campaign for tobacco for kids is a big beneficiary of the bloomberg philanthropies but where things get murky after that is what campaign for tobacco for kids actually does with that money because then that's part that we can't see how they're using it who they're giving it to to influence whomever that's kind Mm -hmm. of where this dark money term kind of comes in am i wrong yeah no it's 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 not laundering but it's kind of like that you know it's 
so any of these groups gets a grant from campaigns. So we know Bloomberg gives money to campaign and that's usually, uh, you know, disclosed somewhere and sure. Bloomberg gives money directly. And some of those grants are, you know, on the philanthropies, on Bloomberg philanthropies websites. But then these groups use that money. Maybe they're contracting, maybe they're putting ads out. Maybe they're, you know, one of the things that was really kind of disturbing to me, it's not necessarily illegal but, you know, all of the times they talked about hosting journalist workshops mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, just lawyers who work for governments uh, hosting workshops for them and, you know, co- yeah. hosting conferences, paying for conferences and paying to fly politicians from one country into another country to functionally lobby. They're saying to, you know, education and all that. But sure. it sounds to me yeah. like what they're doing is lobbying. You know, they are using other entities because they're not allowed to lobby, really. So they're using right. other entities and they're paying them or they're paying their way to do so. And again, that's one of those things is even if they're not saying, hey, you politician from, uh, I don't know, whatever country, sure. I'm not giving $5,000 to lobby, but I will fly you somewhere else to just talk about your experiences with these people in the Philippines. And right. you know, one of the values of things like that is why this is why politicians in America have to disclose that sort of thing is because there is an, a, an intangible value to things like that, where you're schmoozing with other folks you're getting a trip that's very nice Mm -hmm. but those are never those are i've I've never seen anything like that disclosed by any of the groups involved in the whole little anti-tobacco network that they're doing things like that they're flying people from one place to another or hosting hosting educational conferences yeah and they i mean is that something they don't have to disclose that right though i mean i don't think they have to and and frankly it depends on the country that they're in if the people who are receiving those gifts in kind, which is what they're called in America anyway, gifts mm-hmm. in kind, which is, you know, if Bloom, if the campaign for tobacco free kids, a lawyer there wrote a piece of legislation that was introduced wholesale, not changed at all, introduced in, in Congress in America, that would be an undisclosed donation because it would be considered a gift in kind because they did labor. Mm. Right? You pay people for their labor and campaign for tobacco free kids lawyer did work for members of Congress that they didn't have to pay anybody to do. So that would have to be disclosed. And gee, I just would love to see the version of these documents for America and for right. Canada and for other countries, because I'm pretty sure they've done that here. I mean, I'm just taking a wild stab, but I'm going to guess they've yeah, done that in mm, cities and states. It's not, uh, oh, it's I, not a stretch. I found it. I did a piece a while back on there's a, a organization called Change Lab Solutions here in California, and they literally have model statutes on their website that are identical one to one copies of ordinances and things that have been passed in California restricting and banning vapor products. And they're just like, here, we did it for you. Here's our template. Just fill in your county name or whatever it is. Yeah, and we, and we already know that when it comes to the lawsuit, you know, aiding lawsuits. So we know that Bloomberg pays for people in attorneys general's offices. And usually that's on the climate issue, but I'm sure, I mean, you know, again, I work with him on the climate issue, may, may as well work on the tobacco, tobacco thing as well. And also then our state gets money for nothing. Uh, and but but I also know that, you know, uh, groups within this circle, and I'm pretty sure Bloomberg Philanthropies, I know uh, some of the pharmaceutical companies give money to the public health law center, which is a legal center. So mm. I think it was uh, uh, the Johnson and Johnson philanthropic arm. They oh, uh, Robert Wood Johnson. Yes, Robert, thank yeah. you. Robert Wood Johnson yeah. Foundation. I'm pretty sure they're the ones who they, they gave the founding grants to found the public health law center. And then they go in and they help, they assist, you know, they do the educational uh, and assist 
interesting stuff. So it's, again, it's, you know, it's so removed from Bloomberg or from campaign for tobacco for kids or whatever it is that it just appears as if all these groups, I mean, they're, they're so amazingly coordinated and they're so well funded yeah. and it works so well together. It's just yeah. amazing. It's but it, 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 it must be the right okay. idea, right? Because everybody came up with it on their own. So, <laughs> you know. Yes, that's, that's, that's the most insidious part. And I discovered this when I was listening to the hearings in, in the District of Columbia where they're like, you know, when we did the, when we did a hearing on this bill two years ago, when we had a two-year-ago <laughs> hearing on a bill that was materially different than the one we're considering today, um, we heard from all these groups, Campaign for Tobacco for Kids, American Lung Association, this group. Yeah. And I'm like, they're all the same you didn't hear from a bunch of independent groups they are working together they are the same basically yeah right see and that reminds me so much of even just what we talked about two weeks ago with uh the tobacco control act and how campaign was supporting it and altria was supporting it and they kept going no 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 this isn't an alliance we both just happened to support this same exact legislation that will just, but it's definitely, you know, we're independent. It's not an alliance or anything. I, it's the first thing I could think of was like, oh, TCA, that's Tobacco Control Act. Same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Bootleggers and Baptists. Bootleggers. Everyone, everyone gets paid. Yeah. <laughs> everyone gets paid. Well, and the big problem, I guess, with Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, and this isn't going to be news to much anybody here, is like you point out, there's zero tolerance, sort of prohibition level setting of all tobacco being equally bad and then that's it all tobacco is equally bad and then that's it yeah all recreational nicotine anything all that isn't medical nicotine is bad is bad no, regardless of whether kids use it at all I, I saw something kind of ridiculous that they were talking i think it was the the dissolvable nicotine pouches something like that where they're like these need to be unflavored because kids are using it and it's like what wait what no yeah, no what? They're not. there's no no information that that is a thing that's happening yeah. no where what kids show <laughs> me I, you know i saw a, the truth found or the truth initiative put something out or someone else did a story and then they linked to the truth initiative to make some claim. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I go to the Truth Initiative website and they, ha they have a, it just says like, oh, based on our studies or, or based on a survey we did like last month. I'm like, but where is it? I'd like yeah. to read yeah, And where? how many people did you ask? Like 10? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's insidious, but, but I think, you know, with, we're starting to see it slowly now that, you know, the Philippines, I heard there's some groups in the Philippines and in the uh, Asian mm -hmm. Pacific area that are, asking Congress to look into the, these documents that I have. And I'm hoping India will do it. Uh, I'm hoping China will do it because, you know, some, one of the things that was really interesting in the documents, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I hope no. the lawyers aren't watching. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the Chinese sorry, government sorry. Uh, back in 2000, before 2017, they, they like shifted a lot of their rules about foreign influence. And so the Campaign for Tobacco for Kids is talking about contracts that they had with the government-run news is basically the ap for china that they Whoa. had a contract with them but they had to stop because the new rules disallowed foreign entities from contracting with state-run entities but because of their great and this is i'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing what what this what the document said is because of our great network of partners we're still able to oh. have an effective communications aka their partners on the ground are the ones with the contract now not right. campaign for tobacco free kids Right. And that's what I read. It could just be where it's like, we're doing, you know, earned media, but I doubt that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, completely. Well, and I feel like that's just one of the tactics. And I mean, again, not news to anybody, but it it's purposefully crazy confusing 
just so that it's impossible to untangle. I feel like it's deliberately, oh, this money went here, but he, you did it to this, and then it went over here, but then it went to these people, and now you can't trace it. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, it's 100% deliberate, and this is something that they, they're pretty fairly open about. What they're trying to do is create the – they are trying to sway public and policy opinions by creating – by first of all, changing public opinion, but also mm -hmm. creating the appearance that it is already that way. Right. And by squashing down – it's kind of the old Trump playbook of, you know, just throw so much stuff at people. And most most people, if it's an issue that they're not an expert on, it's an issue they don't pay attention to. It only takes a few time of hearing a statement repeated, yep. and it just gets in there. Even that they didn't, they didn't think that they were saying, oh, "I believe this," but it just gets back there because you've heard so much about it. Most people on right. the street believe that there's a vaping epidemic and that e-cigarettes are killing kids. Mm -hmm. If you ask them, they're like, "Oh yeah, I know. I heard something about a bunch of kids dying because they didn't follow the whole e-valley right. to, to the end when the CDC was basically like." If someone twisted their arm hard enough and they had to admit that it wasn't e-cigarettes right. uh, or vaping, right? That it was illicit THC products that were tainted. Uh, but but most other, because there weren't, you know, the, you know, Sheila Kaplan didn't write a news story on that, I don't think. So, right, so right. <laughs> Sheila Kaplan at the New York Times. That's who I was referring uh, to for your yeah. audience yeah, members who have been out now. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know who that was. New I've New seen York her Times. on Twitter and I've read a couple things. It's like a public health fda reporter type ah, yeah, ah. She's, the, she's on the tobacco beat there and i've kind of soft trolled her where i'm like oh because uh, she loves every time a study comes out that says something horrible about vaping she'll you know do a headline for the new york times mm -hmm. and then you know, for example the mayo clinic study it was like uh, turns out that you know vaping doesn't seem to be associated one way or the other with with covid, COVID. i'll just be on twitter like oh sheila uh, is it you just have not had time to read it yet like you're gonna do a story on this right you're gonna, you're gonna do a story <laughs> on this yeah. one yeah Light this is your beat <laughs> but yeah, just soft, soft trolling. Some soft trolling. That's good. Did she pick up the Mayo Clinic study? No, with the, of course no? not. Okay. Nobody did. It's not because she missed it. No, no. It's it. That's what I said to someone else on Twitter. They were like, "How is yeah. everyone missing?" And I'm like, "I yeah. don't. I wouldn't say they're missing it, Bob. <laughs> yeah. uh, no. They're choosing because it doesn't fit. This is what I was talking about. Where on the other side of it, you know, they are forced into a very hard corner, a black and white, a black and white side where anything positive they they want to ignore they don't want to bring any attention to it because they think they're in a war with the other side uh and and any good information about vaping will confuse people and make it a little less black and white right can't, you can't have people confused you can't have people thinking something's good when you want them to think that it's bad yeah, right exactly i, I feel like you full tilt zealots only here okay <laughs> But I'm starting to see it in the public. And, you know, I mean, with I think one of the biggest things that happened besides anything with right, the regulatory state that like Mark Gunther in philanthropy taking mm -hmm. note of it. And it's one of the things I said, like in the international development community, especially with what's been happening over the last couple of years, there is and, and good on them for doing this. But there is a, a look inward about, you know, what what are we doing that's maybe still you know, an overlay from colonialism. What are we doing that's maybe not great for racial disparities or anything like that, or, you know, racial equity. So they're looking inside uh, of their own operations, their own community. And I think that's maybe what Mark Gunther is doing and, you know, massive credit mm -hmm. for, for looking at one of the largest members of the philanthropic community and saying, mm, this isn't great. Maybe we, we can just, change. Should like, we be okay with we, this? Yeah, like is this is this okay? Uh, so I think that's and I'm seeing that at a bunch of different levels where people aren't, you know, they're not saying, you know, they're not vape advocates all of a sudden, but they are taking a step back sometimes. Uh -huh. They're saying, well, uh -huh. not. I'm not going to say that they're 
for the worst thing in the world. Right, <laughs> but I'm right, right. But I'm not sure. Which is a good first step. Yep. Yeah, I can see that as a good first step. And I'm just trying to keep people critical of Bloomberg, just in general, just even outside of vaping. I always talk about how he's unelected. He's just an unelected rich guy that wants to influence you. Yeah. I'm trying to get people on board with that. I'm very, I'm a little, not terribly surprised, but but I'm still kind of surprised that more people on the center left side of the conversation yeah. aren't aren't critical of what he's been doing because it's Bloomberg, right? Like yeah. a Republican, let's be honest, who kind of flipped for political reasons, right. but who always supported, well, not everything, but but a lot of his support is is pretty Republican, and people don't on the left generally don't like Bloomberg very much. Yeah. with good reasons so i'm a little su- i'm always a little surprised when when the left doesn't pick up on some of this but i'm like you he's a meddling guy yeah he meddles and he does things you don't like and he, you know we all know that he isn't doing it for your own good he's doing it because he's got some particular utopian vision yes. right so like, like the guy who wants to spread his seed around because he thinks he's an ubermensch or whatever you know he thinks he's got the perfect <laughs> genetic right code like that's kind of what Bloomberg is for his his morality is he thinks I've I figured it out clearly I'm yep. a rich guy so that proves my morality is right yeah and now I need to make sure the rest of the world does it because then we'll all be great like me right yeah, well I'll be great like me John Haymaker oh. in the chat says he's likes he's like Lex Luthor yeah I mean I I would agree with that if there was a I think Superman that's offensive to Lex Luthor that's offensive to that's Lex offensive Luthor. To- <laughs> Lex Luthor and Superman did eventually become friends. I mean, not to nerd out too hard, but they did become friends. They were super Lex Luthor. They fought together. It was a thing. Well, at least Lex Luthor had an imagination. He did. <laughs> the things like Bloomberg tries to do are the most boring things. Like this is me and my husband talk about this pretty frequently. It's like people who end up with the billions of dollars always do the most boring things with it. Boring. Like, you could build, you could literally build an underwater, like, you know, community you, with all of that money. Like, do something just different and weird. Like, why are you doing the most boring stuff? Like, I want to control people's lives. Like, yeah. you got to sodas for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bloomberg was like, sodas. That's what, sodas. That's you know, I'm, critical of Gates. I'm critical of Gates and the Gates Foundation, but, you know, you yeah. got to give it credit that they, you know, what he, he was like, okay, I'm going to do the boring thing of like try and help the world. They actually did it though, at least on one, you know, on, on vaccinations and stuff like that. And who knows what horrible things they did in order to have it done, but you can't take it away that they have functionally eradicated certain diseases in certain areas of the world. And that's, yeah. you know, Hey, at least you did it. Yeah. Bloomberg. Yeah. Maybe not so much. Funding governments. Now see, this is a big piece to bite off that I'm going to rely heavily on you Michelle Mitten, but this is this was kind of shocking to me. All of these countries listed. I mean, if you go down the list of like Brazil, Peru, Uganda, Nigeria, Kenya, even in like um, uh, uh, Ukraine and Europe and things like this, they're kind of all over the place. And they fund it again. It's not black and white. It's like this is going to this organization for this reason but not for this reason. And this is going to this different organization for a a different reason. And now we're trying to, and like we were talking about earlier, their constant like narrative is discredit the tobacco industry and sue the tobacco industry. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what they're doing in all of these countries. It's more widespread than I guess I realize. Indonesia. And I mean, they ran into uh, a scandal in uh, Mexico 
mm-hmm. where apparently they had written up. I mean, this is your paper. I don't need to tell you, but they had written up same thing like in California. They had just written up anti-vape legislation and it's just waiting there, ready to be whatever filed through and signed. Um, in China, talk about what it seems like in China, it was excessive money that China was getting from Bloomberg Philanthropies and campaign. China's a real, it seems to be like a really big target country for, for their policy. So the, the general like objectives from what I could tell based on the strategy is yes, discredit the tobacco industry, yeah. uh, um, you know, get them out. If, if there's any, anything written into policy, like there is in the Philippines where the tobacco industry has to be part of the conversation, you know, nothing about us without us kind of thing, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they have to be part of the conversation about regulations on their industry. They're like, we gotta, we gotta amend that and get rid of that so that they cannot be part of the conversation. Um, and then there's the, the, public opinion stuff. And then the other thing is, you know, the really a few of the really big ones is getting these countries to adopt everything, all the FCTC stuff, all the Empower stuff, which is a framework. And I still haven't figured mm-hmm. out. So the World Health Organization is the one who created this perfect framework. You know, this mm-hmm. just copy paste it. We figured it out. You don't need to figure out you don't need to work out what's what's gonna what it's gonna do in your country. We've already figured out it's good for everybody. It's a yeah, one size right. kind of Uh, So, you know, all of these policies. So a lot of their work is aimed at making sure that all of those policies are adopted and enforced. And that seems to be one of the things they're doing in China is they give state governments, local governments, I think the the FDA, their version of the FDA, money to implement those policies, to implement and defend those policies from, Mm -hmm. for example, from lawsuits and stuff like that. So they're not necessarily saying, well, here's a bribe of $50 million. They're saying, well, we know you want to like, ban smoking indoors and vaping indoors so we're going to give you money to, to to enforce that policy in in your in your state in china yeah. uh and so you know and that's one of the things uh sharon i, I can't remember her last name the representative in the philippines was talking about sharon uh, right with you you're saying it's 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 functionally a bribe yes right. it, you know with china china's a fairly you know they're a wealthy country Let, let's be honest not exactly yeah. alone and even though there's loads and loads of people in the country who are not the the country itself has a lot of money. But in some of these countries, the governments do not have a lot of money. And when they start getting grants from someone like Bloomberg or Campaign for Tobacco for Kids to set up, to establish government Mm -hmm. services, you know, what they consider to be services, the threat of yanking that money away is intolerable. There wouldn't be a way to replace that money. They would have to cut those services and fire those people and look really bad in public for having to cut a program that they had established a few years earlier. So it is, it's kind of like, wow. a bribe. It, it's, it really, yeah. it makes them dependent right. on these foreign entities. And again, if we're talking about colonialism and good charity, like good foreign charity, you don't want to make them dependent on you, especially if it's contingent on them uh, doing exactly what you want. Yes. You saw this under, under um, I think it was Bush the first president, uh, president Bush the first, where he was, you know, he's anti-abortion. Eh, maybe sure. it was his kid. Might have been his son. But they basically took USAID and said, you're not going to give money to any of these countries, the m- maternal and child services, if one of the services they provi- provide is abortion. And so a bunch of the countries that were receiving USAID from America, they actually changed the rules. They said, okay, we're not doing abortions anymore. And wow, so that's the, the, the effect just to keep the money. So that's the effect that that kind of money with strings has in low and middle income countries That's very strings you become attached. beholden basically right, so it, wasn't, it wasn't the country's morality right because they, they, they were fine with it before it wasn't about 
it wasn't some internal demand for for bans on abortion. It was literally a foreign power who gives us money wanted it in order to keep us to keep giving us money. So we did it. That's bad international aid. That's, that's wow. unethical yes. international aid. And that's kind of what it seems like. You know, I don't have any smoking guns on that here. I've, ne- I've never run into documents where you have someone from Bloomberg Philanthropies or Campaign for Tobacco for Kids saying, well, we're not going to give you money if you don't do it this way. Right, 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 right. right. But, they would but never. I feel like the threat is there. Yeah, it's one of, it feels like it's an unspoken thing, especially with that many strings attached to the money. It's kind of like saying without saying like, here, you can have this, but we're, we're clear, right? Like we're, we're clear on this? Like, like saying it without black, saying it. Yeah, it's that black and white. So if, 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 you know, an Indonesian journalist group or whatever, Proga, I'm trying to think of them, you know, if they're a media group and, you know, they you they get money from Campaign for Tobacco for Kids to do mm-hmm. propaganda, basically. If anybody internally starts questioning the wisdom, you know, they're like, well, I'm, I'm anti-tobacco, but but maybe not snooze, maybe not like vapor products. Right. Are they going to are they going to say anything? Are they going to are they going to air the nuanced version of what they're thinking now of course not because they would risk losing you know because the next year comes around when they're when bloomberg is saying well who should we give grants to this time they're like well they they had a kind of nuanced one and they didn't really come out strongly in support of our prohibition of everything so but and you know in the nonprofit world is can be vicious so you have another company just swoop right and be like we'll do it yeah yeah. everything (laughs) nuke it i'll take that money you got money? I'll take that money. China always surprised me, though, because correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't they, you know, one of the, I think, few countries left who have like state owned tobacco, you know, the government. So I was always kind of I'm always surprised when I hear things because I would think it's not in their own, you know, the government's itself interest to yeah. do that. Yeah, well, I mean, so the, they're not they haven't. And I think this is probably one of the reasons Bloomberg has, and campaign are investing so much time and energy into China is because they're not adopting all of the, you know, the World Health Organization and the World Health Organization always treads very carefully with China because they want to keep them in. the They want to keep them part of the conversation. They don't want them to close off, which is, you know, there's always a risk of that happening with China. But there are certain things that, you know, especially if you're giving the government money to do them, to enforce mm-hmm. them that don't doesn't necessarily hurt their bottom line when it comes to their cigarette sales. They, they know, you know, if we're going to ban smoking indoors or we're going to ban point of sale advertising, they generally, they're like, we, we have like billion of smokers in our country already. Right, like, it's know, not going to do anything. Like 40% of the world's smokers, um, they're going to keep smoking even if they just like have to go outside to smoke. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Man. I... <laughs> it's big. And I, I hope, I it's really, big. I hope it's that that's i think that's what was so sh- I, you know i talked to people and they're like well what's the story here and i'm like you don't see it because <laughs> like, yeah. i understand all all nonprofits do a lot of this stuff you know and right. as you get bigger a sure. lot of nonprofits do well a lot of this like most of the stuff kind of similarly like they lobby kind of they talk to lawmakers they do sure. ads you know they're talking they're trying to do coalitions work but it's the size and scope and total disregard for the voices in the real vo- the people mm-hmm. like not the people who are part of their network or their partners but like the farmer who's just like on the ground who maybe doesn't even have time to read the paper or watch sure. the news ever sure. but what is this guy you know and that guy's like well uh i mean i i make five dollars a week um so i i don't really think vaping's a important issue maybe we could focus yeah. on something else something <laughs> yeah clean water can we, or, can we get yeah. some 
affects clean me, water. clean water, food, so things like that. Oh man, and I it's just, just think, it's gross. It's so gross, gross. I, to think that like your issue is the most important issue, especially in low income countries. I mean, middle as well, but especially like vaping, like yeah. Have you not seen the commercials yeah. like begging for money with the children with the tummies and you have to look away and it's so awful? But Lie vaping. Right. Right. But vaping, that's what they need. The, uh, the little children are starving, but if they pick up a vape, it's all over. So we need yeah. to stop that. Like, <laughs> we're going to make sure if that child dies, we're going to make sure that we, we blame it on the vaping, not yeah. the starving and the super distended belt. No, I, in the, in, this space in the intellectual space when we're talking about like international development and, and uh, global public health one of the phrases that really struck me and has stuck with me since i read it was um colonizing bodies and i, I instantly thought about the body parts organizations yep. the mm -hmm. lungs the hearts all of that tuberculosis where it's we don't care if you die or what you need or what you want or whether you even have political power in your country or if our efforts are making that worse for you we're actually we're actually reducing the amount of power you have in your own community. Uh, so long as you don't die from this one thing. So long right. as your heart doesn't this explode. This one thing. We don't, we don't care what else you, so long as you're not smoking, we don't care if you starve, if you get to work. I mean, the, the Lung Foundation, being involved in this is one of the things that always just blows my mind. Yes. Because like, and this is what I was, um, I think it's Carl Phillips who said the, but not that way is a really great concept of if somebody says we need to save the world from X, but not that way, like, but, but not that way. Right. That's again, you know, that that's not really their goal. Whatever they said it was, it's not what they really want. And so you have, you know, the lung foundation, we want healthy lungs, even though it's weird to only focus on a single body part, whatever. But then they say, you know, yeah, but, but not if it's the tobacco industry giving you ventilators during a pandemic right virus that mostly <laughs> right. affects the lungs. right not that don't save people but not with their way. tools like yeah. right no. you're like, mm -hmm. okay yeah. and then that's what happened with the whole tobacco movement where it was we just don't want people to die from smoking anymore yeah and then okay here's a vape uh we've got pouches we've got snooze but not that way no yeah, no but not, but that, not way. that way quit smoking but not that way quit smoking but not that way then to me, it becomes like there's no other like you've lost all face in this argument. This mm -hmm. is like puritanical. This is moral. This is not anything real. This is like, you know, a religious belief more than it is anything yeah. else. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the other thing I see and hear from and people in some of these low and middle income countries is that, you know, in America, in most of the Western world, however you want to define, you know, higher income countries, sure. you know, European dominated countries, our value system and the morality that we all generally accept uh, in among that is health. We, you know, we think of healthy bodies, everything in moderation, be on time, like all mm -hmm. of these things are Western values. They are not necessarily the values of these other countries. So, you know, we're like modern medicine, super uh, vaccinations, do it. And, you know, in some of these other countries, like, yes, I recognize that this doctor, this like foreign doctor with his needles and everything might more efficiently cure whatever my physical ailment is. But my like tribal shaman helps my soul, too. Like, you know, they, they help sure. my mental and they keep me connected. And that's important for my health more in some ways than your medical stuff. Uh, so, so it's it. It's that trying to apply Western morality, which all of the temperance prohibition, all of that stuff is that anything that's fun or feels good uh, is evil. Mm. That's purely Western. That's purely Euro-Christian mm -hmm. philosophy. Mm -hmm. 
whereas loads of other countries, dancing is a huge part of their, you know, their spirituality and their community and right, food their entire and culture. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, what, what people, you know, like prohibitionists and moralists would say hedonism is actually part of their community and their spiritual life and their cultural heritage. And it's wrong. I'm still going to use something black and white. It is wrong for you to look at another culture that, or an individual who is making a personal choice that they've determined is best for their life. Even if it cuts their life short by a few years, if it makes their life better, then you have no right to try and force them to make the choices that you think are better because you're right. you're actually making their whole life worse right you're, you're making them live maybe an extra six years but you're making the next 50 years worse for them <laughs> yes. you want to put it in actual like numerical terms like <laughs> yeah and you know this is something that uh janine uh has said on twitter a, a thousand and a half times about nobody cared when i was smoking cigarettes Suddenly, everybody cares that I quit cigarettes and now I'm vaping. Nobody cared when I was slowly killing myself, but now I it's a big that, deal. I, I think that's because the question of morality with cigarettes has had already been has been solved, right? right. Everyone knows it's bad. We already know you're a dirtbag or you're suicidal or you know you're you're stupid, whatever it is. Right. So we it's resolved. Scummy. Um, right. But. But the, so the fact that you have, and I think this is what pisses people off, like the campaign for tobacco for kids more than anything else, is that you have something like vaping come in with the moral high ground mm -hmm. where you have people who are now using nicotine, who were smokers, mm -hmm. who get to feel good about themselves. And first of all, that's the worst thing that, that anybody, a moralist like that wants is because then they'll fight and they want a nice docile, like most smokers never fight back when, a, when government's like, we're going to raise the taxes. Yeah. We're going to vote right. for it. Yeah, mo yeah. Mo yeah, because they have internalized the stigma. They're like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm kind, I of, am kind of a loser. I should quit. Right. Um, but then you Maybe this would help me in. quit if it costs more, you know. Yeah. I hear, and, and the and so insidious, their family members. And I, I saw this when they were talking about banning menthol cigarettes, which we all know cigarettes are horrible. But I saw so many times, my grandfather died from menthol cigarettes. Uh, He died from cigarettes, not menthol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Right, but but so they're like, if this happened when he was alive, maybe he wouldn't have died. And you're like, so how do you think your grandfather would have actually? So even their family members, the people who love them so much that they wish they were still alive, look at them as like a child that needs help or someone who made a bad choice, and the government should have made the choice for them. And so like, of course, smokers and ex-smokers still have tons of internal stigma from mm -hmm. a world that vaping is new and it's got the moral high ground, and they're trying to stamp that down as fast as possible. Right. Uh, because the more the, the so the more people, first of all, who start doing it and the moral high, if they if they have the moral high ground in the public view, the harder it will be to control that group of people. That's right. why they're, they've been trying to prohibit it from the very beginning is because they mm -hmm. didn't want it to spread because the more people most people are selfish and not in a good way. Most people are self-centered, mm -hmm. have no imagination. So they only care about things that they do. Right. All the people who are like ban vaping. We said we're going to ban alcohol. They would flip the fuck out oh, they lose right. their minds. because they because they drink and they don't vape and they've never smoked so if there are two if more as more people start using vaping products there will be a bigger constituency that will throw a fit mm -hmm. when government tries to do something mm -hmm. so they're trying to stop that as fast as possible and one way to do that is to push them back down into the stigmatized world and being like no no mm -hmm. don't worry you're still you know like rashida taleb saying to i can't remember her name in that hearing like you're still a smoker man because she was saying you know i quit mm -hmm. i quit smoking mm -hmm. using vaping or she's mm -hmm. going, you know, you're still a smoker. They want to make sure you're still stigmatized. You're still considered an other in our society and not yeah. worth listening to because you're a dirty addict. Right. Dang. 
I think she was also the one who said that secondhand smoke is more deadly than firsthand smoke. I just... <laughs> Someone all pray that for science, her. All that oh, science God. we have showing that's, secondhand I, smoke. That, that sounds almost like a... Stan, like I'm sure Stanton Glantz has maybe yeah. tried to do a paper. I think that was his Helena or Helena Montana study. Mm -hmm. I think... Uh, when someone reverse engineered the study, they're like, for so Helena uh, banned smoking indoors for a couple of years and, and the heart attacks. Yeah. Right. So they did a study and they were like, well, during this period of time, heart attacks went down by like 70%. And someone was like, um, sir, for that to be true, that would have to mean that secondhand smoking killed more people than actual smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And did he even take a pause at the end and go, oh, yeah, it just reminds me of that Stanford study with the COVID-19 and vaping. <sighs> Can where... we even call them a study? I mean, well, come on. I mean, no, I... It's an online poll. And online I tried poll. to talk to Bonnie. I tried Definitely, to talk to Bonnie. Like, the math was I asked bad. her, I was like, uh, yes, I, I, said, I was like, these numbers are literally not adding up. And her response was something like, you know, it's been peer reviewed. It was reviewed by three other people. I'm like, I'm sure they actually read it. <laughs> yeah. They're not redoing your math. That's not, I mean, for being, I think there's a, I don't, I've heard in sort of the public health community that there's so, sort of this awakening slowly starting to happening that peer reviewed isn't what people think it is. Like they're not usually looking into your science or redoing your math. They're like spell checking your paper and just sort of yeah. assuming that it's like everything. I'm a, I'm a peer reviewer. So I do peer reviews and I'm, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I'm tired. I don't really feel like checking all the citations and really thinking about, but I make myself do it right. because it's so important. But you know, uh, you, so it seems to me in some of these places, you get to pick who your peer reviewers are. Which is like, if yeah. you're Bonnie Halpern Felsher, who's, uh, you know, on the editorial board Ugh. and you get to pick who reviews, who underneath you is really going to be like, oh, this doesn't make sense, Bonnie. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, I had to add breeze tones. Secondhand lies are more dangerous than firsthand lies under the rules of engorgement. <laughs> oh, Stanton. Oh, Stanton. So, I mean... So really what this comes down to is Bloomberg and the Campaign for Tobacco for Kids kind of have their greasy tentacles literally everywhere. And it's a lot deeper than I had originally even postulated that it could be. In our worst nightmares and conspiracy theories, where we thought we were putting tinfoil hats on, none of us, I think, thought it would be this big. No. And I'm sure. And this is prior to the $160 million dollars. Right. This is oh. all before that. Yeah. So you so and it's think only of how a, bad it is now. Right. Oh and it's only God. a small segment of the world. It's only low and middle income countries. So it has to be at this point, and with what he's been doing with the World Health Organization and a lot of the money gets funneled from there to other countries. You know, it's mm -hmm. I can't now my mind is just running amok and I'm like, I can't make any decisions about how crazy what I'm thinking is because it just it seems like any <laughs> level is possible right now. Right. Yes. And it's and Look, when I say it's deep, it's deep. Like they talk to journalists and I mean, they coach people on uh, literally every, like every aspect of it from forming public opinions to legislation. And they coach lawyers about, oh, here's how we're going to sue the big tobacco company. Here's how we're going to sow distrust in big tobacco. It's really very deep. Again, I don't mean to keep harping on that. I didn't realize I didn't know that, that's what I said. I think the biggest story in here isn't so much that Bloomberg is funding governments even or that I think, well, that Bloomberg is funding totalitarian governments that are yeah, kind of known for human rights violations. And that's that that is a story. But the really big story is 
how how large this this invasion is really the only way I put it invasion and and for me you know even I, the vaping issue is very important because it's so clear how helpful vaping and not other non-combustibles how helpful they are for mm-hmm. people who smoke you know one of the things that kills the most people throughout the world uh, but it it's also really troubling uh, let's say inf- it's infuriating. infuriating it's not troubling it's infuriating to think about the people in these countries uh, who are already, you know, a lot of these governments are already pretty dictatorial or authoritarian. And then you have these groups coming in and taking over all of the parts of their society that would potentially give them a voice. Yeah. And they're being taken over. So what the, what is happening now is those people are marginalized. Even Their voices are silenced even further. They don't have a, you know, they have no ability to influence their members of government, the political discourse, the conversation in the media. Uh, as when you have groups like this who are all mm-hmm. in a network together, it's 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 devastating to me to to hear about. That. I can't imagine if people know what's even going on in their own country. I can't imagine how yeah. how bad this would make them feel and how disenfranchised and how depressed. And you know what? We were talking about suicide. There's a reason people use substances. Sometimes it's just because they're fun and that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's because it fixes, you know, it aids something in their physiology. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times people are trying to deal with uh, depression or hopelessness. And mm-hmm. they, you know, they are trying to soothe themselves from a world that feels like it, it's not meant for them. It, there's no hope for them. So, you know, if you're talking about what these groups are doing. They're not resolving any of those potential issues. And in fact, they are making it worse, right? If you're someone who's like, well, I smoke because I think I'm not going to live. Most people in my community don't live over the age of 50 anyway. Mm -hmm. So what do I care about the 10 years at the 70 to 80 years old that I'm never going to make it to anyway? Mm -hmm. And then you have people come in and be like, well, you're, you're a horrible person and you're killing your children and you should be ashamed of yourself. And they're like, well, now I just want to smoke more. And you (laughs) you see this in studies, particularly with women low-income women who are smokers and have children they uh, their chances of quitting are even lower when they feel stigma when they feel the pain of like potentially harming their children they want right. to smoke more <laughs> because it's wow. psychologically distressing and people yeah. turn to these soothing substances when they're under psychological stress yeah absolutely that's why i smoked i will definitely admit that oh, me too. that's why i started when i was in college it's yeah i mean that's why i smoked it's why i use cannabis now it's it's a it's a substance it's a substance and you know even in the philippines when you talk about like rodrigo Duterte, who he's just a dictator he's like a brutal dictator oh man i went down a rabbit hole of looking at that story that somebody mentioned on twitter about uh making a guy eat a cigarette at gunpoint or something like i went down this whole rabbit hole of like is that true and it's that's true uh-huh. And the weird thing is, like, I read a bunch of like New York Times articles, and some guy was trying to figure out if it was really. And the point, like, the when I got to the end of it, they were like, "Well, we're not really sure if it's true or not, but he definitely wants everybody to believe it's true." So that right. tells you all you need to know. Like, yeah. um, no, no, no. I, I think there's zero reason to question that that isn't true, or yeah. that based on his behavior and a lot of other things, and the way that he deals with journalists, for example, um, and. Uh, I'm not going to say he murders them physically, but uh, the way that he treats smokers generally throws them in jail. Jail. The yeah. number of people who disappear, the number of people who have special marks put on their doors and then suddenly get murdered one night because somebody put an open season out on them. Uh, no, there is no reason. And when Duarte is in public saying these people should be killed, 
right? Somebody should kill that guy. There's no yeah, reason to right. suspect that he wouldn't put a gun to a guy's he's, crotch. He's being and force literal. Him to eat a cigarette butt. Yeah, he's. He, and then <laughs> that's the guy the campaign for tobacco-free kids says has such progressive policies on tobacco. Yeah, oh, that crazy. guy. Yeah, how did they him. not get canceled over that? Like, how is that possible? Like, like seriously, yeah, calling I'm calling a it's insane dictator a progressive. Yeah. Although right. in some ways, in some ways, they're not wrong. No offense. <laughs> no offense. Progressives, not liberals. Progressives. No offense. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> progressives. I mean, they're a little. Well, they're the me. ones who they're they're they are prohibition. And at the they end of the are at the start of every single drug war every single arm of the drug war it starts with reformers and then they yeah. buddy up you know you talk about strange bedfellows they buddy up with the racists and the anti-immigration people and then they all work arm and or the racists in the south they all go arm in arm together marching down the road towards prohibition feeling real good about themselves yeah real good prohibition and when you think about that rodrigo dirate in that context and then you go oh bloomberg's okay with that Oh, they love it. I'm surprised they haven't given him an award yet. He, he's cool with that. Oh, my God. And they gave, what, what did the World Health Organization give India uh, an award recently? Yeah, oh, it was like, that guy. Like best in tobacco control of the year. Something like yeah. that. For banning uh, lower lower harmful alternatives and just right. cigarettes. Yeah. So it's like their health minister or something, right? It I seems think. like they're trying, like, I, it look. It seems like they're trying to get noticed. Like, look at this ridiculous shit we're doing, you guys. India. Can you believe this? We we gave this guy from India an award. Well, how are you not on to us yet? Based on the World Health Organization's facts about vaping, the dangers of vaping—it's flammable. Uh, you know, based ah, on that, yeah. I actually don't think there's <laughs> anything intentional about what they're doing. I think the and not everybody, but the people at the World Health Organization who run the tobacco control group and who who worked, I think they're incompetent. And I think, mm. honestly, I think that they don't have to be gone. They, they, like, the reality has proven that it doesn't matter. They're going to keep getting paid because of the World Health Organization. What they say about tobacco is the thing for the entire world. Yeah, so it really is. doesn't matter if they do any work at all, if they think anything through, if they blunder <laughs> a million times. They're going to keep – people are going to keep respecting them because there are some reasons to respect the World Health Organization, but right. not their work on tobacco. Their work on right. tobacco will go down in history as one of the most egregious violations of public trust between public health. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. And I think it's going to come to a point like not everyone's going to be on board with FCTC, right? So you have like the UK not on board with FCTC, Nordic countries not quite on board with FCTC. And so it's kind of going to be this big global experiment of the countries that have banned vaping and the countries that haven't and then wh where do we where do we end up in a few years from now yeah i'm, I'm really waiting for the me too 2.0 kind of mo moment here with sure. with the world health organization and with with tobacco control i'm i think that will you know what and that's one of the reasons i think mark gunther's work is really important mm -hmm. talking about philanthrocolonialism is really important because mm -hmm. that group that group of academics and intellectuals will eventually see what we're talking about here and call it out for what it is. Mm -hmm. And then it will be a, it will be an accounting and accounting mm -hmm. will happen. And I don't think that's too far off in the future. Uh, yeah, I don't think so either. And this is something Danielle and I have talked about a lot in the past. <sighs> Sorry. I hate talking with paper. Um, I've completely lost my train of thought. Something we talk about a lot. Something we talked about in the past. I was talking about the me accounting of the Me Too and the colonialism. 
Oh, and sort of the tides shifting? Is that what you're going yeah, for? Yeah, like the tides shifting as far as the, the blanket that they're hiding under just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And their legs are poking out the bottom, but they're still trying to hide under this tiny little blanket. And all of the science and all of the... And they're just pulling the blanket off and burning... The, and they just keep hiding and hiding. How long it, could they possibly continue going, nope, va vaping doesn't help cigarette smokers despite all of the other evidence you've read and despite all the successes in places like Sweden with snooze and in the UK with e-cigs, we still stand by that there's no evidence showing that they work. If we had anyone with a backbone in Congress, they would march in the leaders of the campaign for tobacco free. They would get the seven dwarves of tobacco control and ask yeah. them like they did. Is, is vaping yeah. safer than smoking? Is snooze safer than smoking? And go down the line. Yes or no. Yes or no. And then there needs to be that some kind be of epic. There needs oh, an MSA agreement with, with these public health groups where they have to be forced to put ads on the air and saying, oh, well, actually, nicotine in and of itself isn't all that harmful. Like we need to do we need to take that playbook because I know I'm pretty sure at this point they're going all the way back to those uh, UCSF uh, oh, tobacco yeah. papers. And they're reading yeah. through trying to figure out what was big tobacco doing as their blanket was sh sh like shrinking <laughs> as the ground was crumbling right. under their lies. What were they doing? Because we need to do that now in order to. I think what they're trying to do is they are trying and we're, this is why, and it's very tiring. And I know people are feeling kind of flooded with bad things happening. I think the reason that's happening, it, it is bad. It's all bad, but there's potentially a silver lining to that. And I think that they're panicking. Mm -hmm. I think they see the end is nigh and they are trying to get in as much as possible before the ground completely crumbles under their feet. Mm -hmm. That's why I think we're seeing all of these, you know, this multi-state lawsuit that me and Danielle are talking about before mm -hmm. uh, privately. Uh, they're trying to, they are trying to establish what they did with big tobacco as fast yep. as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to make it though. I think with COP9 coming up and the UK being oh, independent oh, and there, and I think with what's happening in New Zealand and kind of with us, with, you know, what is actually happening in Australia because it's not black and white anymore there. No. And what's happening in Japan it's the, the, I don't think they're, I'm, and I'm, I'm optimistic person. So I, I'm pretty sure they're not going to make it. There'll be some States that fall. Uh, there'll, there'll be some cities that fall. There'll be a lot of suffering. There'll be a lot of shops that have to close down because of idiotic legislation that could have been done so much wiser if the goal was really to help people. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't think they're going to get their MSA with, with vaping, you know, with the vape industry. I think they I might get Juul. I can't imagine how they Juul. could justify that. How do they justify an MSA with Juul or with another company? I have, company? I have theories. theories. Oh, yeah, I have theories. theories. They don't have to prove, to prove damages. You know, they could just say, oh, one kid saw another kid vaping and he felt bad. Damages. You know, it's really not hard. <laughs> Future damages. We're going to have to instill programs. We need to hire counselors. We have to police their locker. Trust me. I mean, I know yeah, I've yeah, talked about this. But... We had to put in monitors and all. And we had to do education. Right. Oh, yeah. The vape detectors, the education. Oh, no. I sat through hours of, spoiler alert, I sat through hours of school board meetings oh, of these God. schools that are some of the ones that are suing. Um, shout out to Orange County Public Schools in Florida because <laughs> uh, they have a they have a nice website with a lot of links in their, in their own YouTube channel. But no, I watched them like talk about this stuff. It's for an upcoming project. Um, but they have all kinds, of, and they're they're 
it is. I don't want to spoil my own shit that I'm working on, but you no. would not believe the stuff that they say. I mean, oh, I and they're it. just like, well, I don't, we'll just, yeah. free money. I mean, we'll just sue. It's fine. It'll. it'll That's the thing with these. And I, when I used to write about gambling, I would see it all the time. We would have, and it usually came out of the Northeast. So the New York Attorney General would be like, "We're going to sue this random online gambling company. Why? Like, it's, they didn't really do anything wrong. But, but they will settle. They will settle." very quickly because they don't have the money to go through a trial right, and then the right. state just gets free money. I feel like that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, there should be a law type of person, but I feel like there should be a law when it comes to the government suing people or any government yeah. entity, because they can just throw out frivolous lawsuits all over the place and we pay for that. So they're not right. losing any money. And every once in a while, you know, every once in a while they get a big payday and it looks great, but right. we actually paid for all of that. <laughs> yeah. Can we sue the federal government? No. Uh, Can we sue a branch of the federal government? No, I don't believe a person, an individual can sue Uh, a government entity. I think a state could potentially not sue. You know, I'm not sure. I'm I'm clearly not a lawyer. Yeah, no, no, I didn't expect you to be. You had more answers. I was like, oh, wow, she really knows about this. Yeah, no, but I'm pretty sure an individual wouldn't have standing to sue a government entity unless... uh, uh, I other people do people do sue if they're wrongfully imprisoned, right? Yeah, that's know. true. Yeah, that yeah. is. I think they usually sue something specific, though, right? Like Count, like, like, like the body parts the people sued the FDA or they sue the police department. Oh, or okay, I think yeah. it's usually like I can't recall seeing like Bob versus the state of California <laughs> when it's not like a criminal. You know, like the yeah, state yeah. pursues the criminal like that, but that's not a lawsuit. I don't know. I actually don't know the answer. There has to be some grounds for, you know, someone who, uh, oh, my uncle was a smoker. He was going to switch to vaping until FDA told him not to. He continued to smoke. He got COPD and died. Hmm. Or I watched an FDA commercial about vaping and I decided to go back to smoking and then I got lung cancer. You pay for it. You pay for it. That one would be interesting. Because that's exactly what they did to tobacco companies where they're like, you kept saying that they weren't, you know, they didn't cause cancer. And then my husband got cancer and died. So they sued them and they would win. Oftentimes they would win. So if if we can, and I I actually now do think people can sue the government, but I'm not sure what the parameters are of that. Because uh, I think, isn't that what the Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids and all the others did to uh, FDA? They yeah, they sued FDA. Lawsuit yeah. In order yeah. to implement the PMTA deadline. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, I would love to see some, some, I mean, I wouldn't love to see that because that would mean something very horrible happened to somebody. But some right. would say, I saw, you know, an FDA commercial or a campaign for, I mean, there's got to be grounds. I honestly think the vape community, you know, one thing that we can really do in order to, and I don't know how effective it will be, is this kind of something I've been thinking about for a while is, on us. you know, we do protests outside, you know, in DC and that's nice and that gets some visibility. We need to start protesting some of these groups, like get out in front of the American Health Association headquarters and right. be like, my heart, I had COPD. I'm, you know, my condition has improved. Like, please reconsider. And some people will come out of the building, sometimes just going somewhere else, but they may stop to talk. And the more people in those organizations who, who you know, step outside of the black and white, step into the gray, yeah. uh, the harder it will be. And I know a lot of, I mean, I know people at America, um, the American Heart Association. It's, and they are good people. They're good scientists. They don't work on this particular issue, so I don't know what those people are like. But, but they want to do good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think these groups can be convinced if, if they were just forced to. Lead. I was listening to a podcast where it was um, one of the first 
safe injection sites that was open in North America in Vancouver, I believe, where they had one of the highest rates of overdose. And some person who was a substance user, you know, it, it, living on the street, just had enough. He, he'd watched too many friends be found behind a dumpster somewhere who had overdosed because they were alone and no one knew they were overdosing. So we started right. trying to figure out how we could lobby his government to allow for a safe injection site. And they, he got a bunch of his buddies and they started following around at like a health minister or something or a member of, of government with a casket and they would follow him around everywhere. And wow. eventually, eventually he turned around and decided to actually talk to them and they convinced him. And he, wow. they actually opened up the safe inject, and then he, he lost his election the next time around. But right. to this day, he says he does not regret doing that because the number of overdose in that city declined massively, and not a single overdose occurred at that facility. So he was like, "I'll," he was wow. like, "I absolutely not." He was like, I, only, "I think he said I only regret not doing it earlier." So if, wow. you know, if we, I'd get out there, guys, like get in front of these you know, American Lung Foundation and heart. I love this idea, <laughs> Michelle Mitten. I love this idea. It makes so much more yeah. sense than a protesting in the ellipse, which at that time was a, was a really thing. I mean, I feel like we made a pretty good impact there, yeah. you know. And it doesn't have to be protest. It could be start, you know, something clever, set it, setting up, like, obviously not this, because first of all, it's not that cl clever, but it's already been done, but like setting up little uh, tombstones around. Yeah, tombstones. In front of, you know, art, Body something bags. like that. And tell, do it in front of the New York Times. Do it, like, whoever you want to cover the story, because first of all, a lot of journalists are pretty damn lazy. If they can yep. cover a story that's happening literally at their front door, <laughs> they just might do <laughs> They'll it. do it. You right? know what I think would be really impactful, but would require would require smoking cigarettes um would be if we all went to like american lung and all went there smoking cigarettes with signs that say we used to vape mm. yeah they could be mock cigarettes not to sure but i think that like, would be pretty impactful like a, just a picture a few hundred ex-smokers all smoking again because of what american lung said i think that would be pretty impactful yeah, and this, guys, this doesn't require a Kassah. I mean, as great as Kassah and all the other groups are, this doesn't, you know, it doesn't have, this is the whole think globally, act locally thing. You could just get, if you're bored on a Thursday evening or whatever, like you have a day off in the middle of the week, call up some of your buddies, do it yourself. I've seen yeah. that. There, I can't remember what it was now, but uh, our offices are kind of near the Washington Post building in D.C. And there was just a guy in per perfectly professional attire, and he was holding up a crazy sign. And he was there the whole day. He didn't say yeah. anything. He was quiet. He was mm -hmm. polite. But he had this big, crazy sign. And every time I walked by, I was like, that is, you know, I, I, well, I can't even remember what the issue was, but credit to that person for committing. There was mm -hmm. He had no crowd with him, but yeah. he was getting the message out there to everybody who walked by. If you're just one person... Get out there and do it, and maybe someone will talk to you. That is, you're really speaking to me, because where I grew up, uh, I lived in Carson City, Nevada for a really long time, and every time I would drive to work, there was a girl standing on one certain corner who just had a big sign that said, uh, don't drink and drive, or something like that, out there every day, every day, don't drink and drive, don't drink and drive, don't drink and drive. And I thought, wow, she's out there every day. She must really have a firm stance against drinking and driving. Well, she comes into my Starbucks, and I see her with the sign, and I said, ha! It's it's you. I see you all the time. You stand out there with a drink, dr don't drink and drive sign. She said, yeah. Uh, she said, 10 years ago, my daughter was killed in a drunk driving accident. And every day since then, I've stood on that corner and with a sign that says, don't drink and drive. And I thought. That's kind of beautiful. Like that's it's a kind of kind of beautiful, beautiful, but it's kind beautiful. Of like inspiring tragically, too. Yeah, tragically beautiful. That that every day she thinks about her daughter and does every that. day goes out there with that sign just to tell people don't drink and drive. 
because one person seeing it might think, hmm, you know, one might person. Just... But she's out there every day, and thousands and thousands of people drive by her every single day. And how many of us know someone who died of smoking, right? How yeah. many of us know? Hi, and you just get your little sign and go, you know, maybe make a schedule and be like, I'm going to do Tuesday, you do Wednesday, and one of us is going to be out here for several hours. I lost so-and-so. They would still be alive if yes. they had any of these other options available to them. Yes. Michelle Mitten, I am fired up now. I want to go protest or I want to go demonstrate or something. That's a great idea, you know. And they're gonna they're gonna keep us out of their conferences so that people will not know that we're that this is my theory is that the reason they're well, for one thing, their arguments don't hold up to scrutiny, but they don't want people like me and you going to these conferences because those conferences aren't, aren't just panels. You sit down next to people, you talk to them at lunch, yep. you see them after the conference. And if someone talks to people like, you know, us three at a conference, they'll realize, oh, they're actually not crazy. They're not right, bots. Right. Yeah. Uh, some of their argument, like I, and I now understand, I may not agree with, but I understand that where their opinions are coming from. And that's mm -hmm. the last thing the people who control tobacco control want is their rank and file who've just gone along because they haven't had a chance to think about it. Mm -hmm. They don't want them starting to move into the gray. They right. want them to stay firmly in the black or the they white. They don't want to hear dissenting opinions or, right. you know. So if they're going to keep us out of the papers, you know, if they're going to, if their journalists aren't going to cover any of the stories, if they're going to keep us out of their conferences, they're going to, you know, shout us down at hearings, then you need to just start picking off the lower level people by just showing up where they're at. Meet them where they're at. Right. Yeah. And just be as polite as possible and as calm as possible and see if you can buy someone a drink or a cup of coffee and have an actual conversation with them. Yeah. Let's see. That's something I never thought about is those casual conversations that probably happen at all of those summits and events. And this is one of the things I'm glad you brought up COP9 because I'm looking forward to COP9 because I think it's going to be a big like a big pivotal moment uh, for tobacco control and public health uh, in general. I'm very I don't know how much of it we're going to even, I, I, I I'm know. looking forward to, but it's like, they don't, it's so non-transparent. Yes. <laughs> like I'm really just relying on Clive Bates to get all my information from. Yeah. I know. It's, it's going to be the people in the UK are the I ones know. who are going to like spill the beans to everybody else. Yes. Right. Right. I, I know. God bless the queen. I can't wait. <laughs> Cop nine. God bless the queen. All right. Well, we've been going for a, a good long time now, so I guess we can wrap this up, but. Man, Michelle, thank you for coming on the show. This has been a really great stream. Really great stream, Michelle. Thank you. Uh, thank you for everything you do uh, in D.C. with Flavor Bands and at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And you're just you're a champion for harm reduction. And we are so much better off having you on our side. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and I would Michelle. never be able to do half of what I do or I would not have the energy or will, honestly, to do it if it wasn't for everyone. Like every time I feel like I've failed, like with D.C., I think about all the people not that I let down, but all the people who are, you know, who, who don't get paid to do what I do. So, <laughs> yeah. so they're not, they don't, but I, I feel bad, but I also feel really heartened. All the people that I talk to, all the bots out there, yeah. uh, how, how much self-education they have had to do yeah. and how well they are now communicating and not just, you know, I saw someone who was like, it's dude, you guys sound like bots. And I'm like, no, it's because a lot of us are reading the same things and we have a shared language. You sound like a bot to somebody outside of your, of your yep. like tobacco control community. Yeah. You're right. repeating everything Stan Glantz said. We know where this is coming from. This is coming from truth. Yeah. Right? Right. You sound like a bot too. So I'm super heartened by everybody, you know, and I, what I would say is, yeah, with vaping as with every other issue, just, you know, take it and apply it there. This idea that not everything's 
black and white people aren't always evil there you know there isn't always a conspiracy sometimes there is although like i always say a conspiracy has to be a secret so what bloomberg's doing is not a conspiracy nope. because it's really, he's right all out there it's but, dangling but, out but, there all pink and naked <laughs> yeah but yeah just uh everyone i would love to say you know find your joy where you can and yeah. know that uh in the end i think we will all help each other Mm -hmm. figure out how to continue to maintain our health and sanity uh and in the end we will be proven to be on the right writer side of yes. history yes uh which i know is is really not a whole lot of consolations idea that you'll be vindicated maybe 50 years after you're yeah, no longer living right uh, but but you know you should go forward with a sense of pride that you your government didn't tell you this or that or how to help yourself and you read the research and yeah. you figured it out and you were right and you know you were right because of the way you feel yes so no one needs to vindicate you you already know that what you've done it was right for yourself so yeah. Yeah. just keep on keeping on everybody and if you feel depressed and run down you know obviously tell the community and they will come a running to help yeah. you feel better yeah well look i'm always here to cheer someone up don't tempt me i'll cheer you right <laughs> up you can't control it well, dang. Um, so I'll post a link down in the description to this incredible piece. It's called Exposed. Oh, I even had a headline up here. We didn't use it the whole time. Exposed, Bloomberg's <laughs> anti-tobacco meddling in developing countries. It's on the CEI blog written by the prolific and brilliant Michelle Minton. Thank you one more time for being here, you guys. Uh, I think there was two super chats that came in. Dakota says, I just want to say thanks, Grim, for making my day two to three times a week. Much love. Oh, much love, Dakota. I appreciate that. Level 5 Loki says, get did you ever watch community anybody you guys watch no. community <gasps> we're getting rid of bloomberg <laughs> we're getting rid of the b he's a gdb yeah getting rid of bloomberg if only we could unelect bloomberg mm. yeah retroactively take away his, his yeah <laughs> you were never anyone important ever retroactively take away his money and power Oh my God, that's amazing! So uh, we again, redistribute his his wealth. Yeah, um, not necessarily for that, but yeah, where are all these liberals who constantly talk about it's not right to have somebody with five billion? He's got sixty billion dollars. Why aren't you saying anything here? Not yeah. that I want that to happen necessarily, but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't cry over it. I I I tell you, I wouldn't. I tell you what, I wouldn't cry over is if Jeff Bezos had to spend his own money to go to space. That's something I wouldn't cry over either instead of being a goddamn trillionaire and then going into space on the backs of taxpayers. Yeah, we, we, we need so we need to get Soros, Forbes. We, we, these people need to come. They need to, anybody who already hates Michael Bloomberg and has a lot of money, we need to get them together and be like, c c why don't you, why don't you just away. mess with this guy? Yeah, go you, know, you, use your money on, you use your money on so many boring things. Like, just uh, just throw a few go billion after him. <laughs> just, just to mess with Bloomberg. <laughs> Just a mess with Bloomberg. Oh, we got one more. Uh, Kevin Yum. That's very gracious of you up there in Massachusetts. Kevin Yum. Hope you're uh, hope you're still vaping okay up there in Massachusetts, despite everything. Hope you're still vaping okay. All right. Uh, well, we're done here. Let's wrap this up one last time since I've ended the stream a few different times already. Thank you, Michelle Minton, for being here. You're always welcome on this stream, and you're always insightful, and I really appreciate it. Danielle Jones, thank you for, for being my far left fact checker. Appreciate you. President of CASA, don't forget, CASA.org, follow those calls to actions. And honestly, you guys, do testimonials. I didn't mention this earlier, but do as do a test anywhere you can. Do a testimonial, do a testimonial. Your Michelle friends do it. 
I take those to lawmakers and I show that I print them out. I have a she whole dot word document. Out. I print them out with your stories to say this is your constituent. Lawmakers. Thank you, Michelle. Yes. I've been trying to get testimonials driven into everybody's brains. Testimonials, testimonials. Just do it. Anywhere you can do a testimonial, do it. Even if it's for an anti vaping group and they want your story, tell them your story. Just do it. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, coming to hang out. Um, we'll be back. Actually, we won't. I'm going on summer vacation soon. Don't worry, Daniel. Oh. We'll talk. Okay. We'll talk, but we will not be back next week nor the week after. Don't worry. I'll have all the details on my big, big summer vacation. Yeah. Summer vacation for Danielle, too, a little bit. Huh? I little mean, bit. who knows? The summer of Danielle. All right. I don't anyway, know. I have a lot um, of work. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for being down for the cause. I realize, you know, I say this a lot, but advocacy and getting into it like this, it's not really for everybody and not everybody's really cut out for it. And so I appreciate you guys being here and being down for the cause and continuing to fight uh, fight that good fight. It's, it's more than vaping now, you guys. It's more than vaping. Bloomberg the shit eater. On that note, Tom Lyford, Bloomberg the shit eater. Remember that uh, no matter what anybody tells you, vaping is at least... 95% less harmful for you than burning deadly combustible tobacco cigarettes. So yeah, no matter what's in your hand, you guys, absolutely, let's keep on vaping. Okay, bye. Bye.